0: How's it going, Yankee fans? Welcome back to Fireside Yankees with your boys, Alex and Ryan. So, you know, a lot of you guys probably are wondering if the Yankees are going to make any moves this offseason, and they may. They're obviously looking at bullpen arms and whatnot, but we want to talk about something a little bit different, go off the beaten path of the regular news cycle right now and talk about the future at first base after Anthony Rizzo's contract inevitably expires. The team does have a club option at $20 million after the 2024 season to retain Rizzo, but he's going to be, what, 35 years old, something like that, and you know had that concussion last year. Obviously, he was really productive before the injury, over 53 games, and the 46 games following were very, very bad, and it was obvious that there were symptoms that were undiagnosed diagnosed. And and now we know he was obviously impacted by those negative things. But looking at the future, the Yankees have one prospect. And we've talked about him a couple times. But if you don't know him, we're going to introduce you to a player that may be on your radar in just a couple months here, guys. you know He is making some significant steps in the right direction. And he won the Yankees Developmental Hitter of the Year Award last season. The guy has taken some Big steps forward, and I really think he could be the future at first base if the Yankees want to keep developing him at that position. Right now, he's labeled as a catcher, does have experience at first base, has been getting some reps there. But I think 2024 is the season where the Yankees almost transition him entirely to that spot, hoping he can take over for Rizzo. He's a lefty bat, and his name is Ben Rice. And if you if you haven't heard us talking about him, we really like this guy, and you know he's really talented with the bat in his hands. So we're gonna break it down for you. Ryan has a lot of information on Ben Rice, what his strengths are, where his weaknesses are, and why he could become a starting level player for this Yankee team down the road. So, Ryan, before we dive into the good stuff, how you do today, my friend?
1: I'm doing great. You know, anytime you get to talk about a guy like Ben Rice, you get excited because this is a guy who I think has a lot of the skills that Yankee fans love, a lot of the skills that any organization should love. You know, when we're talking strictly offense, I'm not sure that there are many minor league players that have the skill set that Ben Rice does. And look, before we get into anything statistically, I know that the first thing people are going to look at is say, okay, he's almost 25 years old and he was in Double A last year. Like, this isn't a guy we should be projecting to do a lot. This is probably just a guy who beat up on some pitching that's younger than him, um, and he's not that good, or whatever it may be. Um, but a big thing to note here is, that he played in an I at Dartmouth, which is an Ivy League school, not the NCAA. And and the reason that's notable is because he was there from 2019 to 2021. They canceled Every every Ivy League school canceled their baseball season in 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and they obviously didn't play in 2020. I don't think any college did uh, during the pandemic as well. So that's two years of collegiate experience that was wiped off the board. You, had to, you know, they had to form their own league. They had to, like, try to play in various summer leagues, and the competition just isn't the same. The, the reps you get aren't the same. The data response you get isn't the same because you're not afforded the same financial uh, equipment, right? Let's think of the funding, the backing that schools like Dartmouth, schools like, you know, Harvard are getting, you know, like these schools have the money to have those facilities in place. And, you know, if we're talking about going to a smart people school, you want to get data from those kinds of people because they're clearly they're going to be. That's a forward thinking school. It's going to be a school that you can get a lot of data response with. You don't get that in just playing in the Cape Cod League, right? Like you may get exposure. Sure. But. There isn't a Cape Cod league until the summer. So what do you do before that? Right? Like that's kind of the issue he ran into. He had just 90 games of collegiate and summer ball experience coming out of the draft. And then in 2021 and 2022, he played like what? I think it was like 70 or hundred, something in that range of minor league games. Or I think it was way less actually. I think it was closer to like 90. Um, he has 164 total minor league games played. That's about a season of minor league work. And he's 24 turning 25. Like I understand that the age is a concern, but he does not have a lot of reps under his belt. And now we can finally get to the data here because despite coming into the year with under 100 professional games and under a 100 college and summer league games played, he put up a 183 WRC+, plus, slugged over 600, had a 183, uh, as I mentioned, 183 WRC+, an 18.7% strikeout rate and an 8.8% swinging strike rate. So the reason I mentioned those metrics were because... He generates a lot of power and he doesn't strike out a lot. Those are two traits that you love to see in a hitter. His walker is at 13.3% of the time and his unique combination of plate discipline, power and contact is it's extremely unique according to baseball prospect uh baseball america excuse me he was in the 90th percentile his 90th percentile exit velocity of 104 mile per hour or higher his contact rate was 70 it was better than 78 percent and his chase rate was below 20 percent he is the only hitter in minor league baseball to accomplish that last season with at least 200 play appearances for those who are not aware 90th percentile exit velocity is just how often, you you know, what is your upper level exit velocities, right? Not looking at just your max exit velocity, but when you really crush the ball, what is that number looking like? Because that's important. If you're, if you're not crushing the ball consistently, sure, you can hit a ball 112 miles per hour every now and then, but if you're not getting to that number consistently, you're not doing a lot of damage, right? But at the same time, if you're not making a lot of contact, who cares how hard you hit the ball? An example of this would be Everson Pereira. It doesn't matter how hard he hits the ball if he doesn't put the ball in play. And then also, if you're not making good swing decisions, you can just throw sliders down and away, or fastballs up and out of the zone, and the hitter's going to chase out of the zone and swing at bad pitches. So who cares if they make contact, and who cares if they hit for power? If they're swinging at pitches you shouldn't swing at, because those pitches don't generate hits or damage contact. He makes excellent swing decisions. He hits the ball hard. He puts a lot of contact. He pulls the ball in the air. He puts the ball in the air at. Ton. He's left-handed. I mean, the traits go on and on and on. You can imagine this guy's going to put a lot of fly balls and line drives into right field in the air next season, and let's look at the Bronx. Let's look at Yankee Stadium. Everybody knows about that short portion right field. He would absolutely feast there, and I know that it's aggressive to say this. I know that this is a little bit much, but I think he's a major league ready bat already. If the Yankees didn't have Anthony Rizzo, and if the Yankees didn't have the financial commitments John Carlos Stanton, Ben Rice would be fighting for a spot on this team. Steer projects him for a 103 WRC+, Zips projects him for a 106 OPS+, and they believe he'll be closer to around an 800 OPS hitter against right-handed pitching, so at the very least, you have a guy who could play against righties. I'm sorry. I, I think this guy's a major league ready bat, and I think he's going to make an impact on this team this year because guys are going to get hurt, and he's going to get a chance.
0: Yeah, you know, what I like about him the most and what we have seen some other Yankee prospects fail to do is transition to the next level. Um, Double-A is arguably the most difficult transition from high A, you know, Hudson Valley, um, to Somerset. But that transition for Ben Rice was like a walk in the park. I mean, this dude went from hitting... I mean, he played 15 games with Hudson Valley and high A before they moved him quickly to Somerset. That should say a lot about where they think he is right now. The fact that he transitioned from, you know, low A Tampa... You know, played what last year? Ten games. Went to High A, fifteen games, and they were like, "Yeah, this guy's too good to be in the A range, the low High A range." We're sending him to Double A Somerset. You want to know what he did in Double A Somerset over forty eight games and two hundred and twenty two plate appearances? The kid hit three twenty seven with a four hundred one OBP, six forty eight slugging, had his highest slugging rate in Double A of any minor league system at, at any minor league level. He had sixteen home runs, of forty eight RBIs, and a one eighty two WRC plus. This dude. Didn't just mash, he took over in Somerset. Um had an 18.9% strikeout rate. So like what we've seen from Everson Pereira, Estevan Florial, um, you know, some of the Spencer Jones, they're hovering in the 25 plus percent strikeout range. Ben Rice has been over the last three his last three you know minor league levels he was at what 23.8 percent then it reduced to 14.7 percent and then hovered at 18.9 percent has traditionally had a double digit walk rate at every single level um he had about a 10 percent walk rate in double a i mean this guy is ready for triple a ball like you said he's a fringe mlb bat right now they get him to triple a pretty quickly i think that's gonna happen i don't think we're gonna see ben rice this season but look He'll be, what? how old is he right now? I mean, he's uh, 24 years old. So he's about ready to make that transition full-time. He's about at that age where the Yankees are like, we want him to be that guy. So 25 years old, all the time in the world. You know, he has all of his minor league options. He has all of his... Um, service time, nothing accumulated. You're looking at a guy that in 2025 could take over at first base for a, a nominal cost, right? A very, very low cost. That's going to help you save $20 million off Anthony Rizzo. So, you know, Ryan, how important is it, the financial variable of this? Because the Yankees want to re sign Juan Soto. Maybe they want to go get Corbin Burns or Zach Wheeler. How important is it that the Yankees transition away from Rizzo, who's getting older, to a 25 year old? who's pre-arbitration and how, how important is that $20 million towards the Yankees reinforcing their team next year with a couple of guys um, hitting the open market?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is uh, in terms of saving money, I mean, again, I keep floating this out there and I'm going to keep floating this out there and I'm unapologetically going to do so. Um, you got 22 million dollars to play with uh look Juan Soto you've got to you've got to do anything you can to bring him back there is no world which Juan Soto can play for another team and you can call yourself the New York Yankees but number two um you know if we're talking about you know looking at towards the future looking at some options on the free agent market I'm gonna keep saying it the Yankees should throw like 40 million dollars a year for like three or four years to Zach Wheeler because I don't believe in paying pitchers long term as much and uh he's gonna have the best one two duo in baseball by a country mile. And then the postseason, I'm not saying you can assume you're gonna win the first two games. Actually, it's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying check off game one and check off game two. You have just won those two games because Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler are pitching. Um, and, and I like guaranteeing playoff wins. I think having dominant starting pitching wins you playoff games. But getting back to Ben Rice here, I also think he's just a really good hitter, and I think you're looking at an ability to, you know, prove to the world that, hey, We can turn prospects into stud players. If you look at why the Dodgers can afford Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Shohei Otani and Tyler Glasnow and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and everybody's like, it's deferred money. Well, Otani's still making $46 million towards the luxury tax. Yamamoto is still making around 20 something million dollars towards the luxury tax. It's not like they're making nothing towards the luxury tax and the Dodgers are going to have to pay them at some point. It's not like they never have to pay them. Um, and the reason they're able to do that kind of stuff is because when, let's say Cody Bellinger, when Cody Bellinger was up for arbitration, instead of saying, let's take an expensive flyer on this guy because we're the Dodgers and we're rich, they can say, actually, we're not going to sign him. We're going to cut him in arbitration. We're not going to pay that money. And we're just going to call up James Outman. And James Outman's one of the 10 best center fielders in baseball. It's the ability to say, hey, all right, we don't, you know, we're gonna let Max Scherzer walk and we're just gonna put Bobby Miller in the rotation. And Bobby Miller's been great. Bobby Miller letting go of Max Scherzer and not having to pay that contract. Is probably a big reason why they were able to afford Yoshinobi Yamamoto because if they had $40 million towards luxury tax of Max Scherzer, maybe Glassdown isn't here, but I can guarantee you Yamamoto isn't a Los Angeles Dodger if that doesn't happen. So you have to be able to develop talent internally. I'm sorry. I know the Yankees don't get as many opportunities to roster rookies. Like, look, am am I blaming them for not starting Oswald Peraz at third base last year? No, because he's a kid. I don't. I don't know how good he's gonna be. You know what I mean? I totally get it, right? Am I gonna blame them for not like you know throwing themselves, throwing Esteban Florial in center field because they quote unquote had nothing better? No, because I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think Esteban Florial's is that good of a player. I understand that, but we're no longer talking about like. Players the Yankees don't believe in. We're talking about players the Yankees do believe in. They apparently very much believe in Ben Rice. Joe McLaughlin called him a top 10 hitter in the organization. And I can tell you right now, the Yankees want to see Ben Rice this year. They definitely like his bat. Um, you know, guys like Peraza and Wells and Dominguez and Jones, like these guys need to convert into major league caliber talent. Um, so you can't you can't run out of payroll of, you know, $500 million, right? We can, we can say, yeah, well, technically if they did it, they would still, you know, be in the green money-wise. Well, guess what? They're trying to make a profit. Right? Like that's, let's, let's just understand how baseball and business works, right? You Got to count for the luxury tax. You've got to count for so many different variables. You're never going to see a team try to spend more than what they're going to earn. Um, you got to be able to develop talent internally. You've got to be able to find cost controlled pieces. And if Ben Rice is a 120 WRC plus hitter, again, not an elite hitter, just a pretty good one. That helps you a lot. That helps you a ton. That helps you, you know, harbor more stars in your lineup. I don't want the Yankees to put themselves in a position where they have to hand out a DJ LeMayhew contract to a player in their 30s. Like, that only happened because they didn't have a third baseman ready in the wings. I didn't. That only happened because they didn't have somebody they felt comfortable going to in their infield. If they did, that doesn't happen, right? The Yankees, if they, and also if the Yankees can develop minor league talent, they get buy-in. And I think the Yankees do... Not that they do things because of the fans, because I think that acquiring Strowman and acquiring Verdugo screams the opposite. But I think in the past they felt inclined to do things because it's the popular move or whatever it may be, and I think that's kind of burned them. You know, I think they need to be willing to go against the grain and say we're gonna do what's unpopular. I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but I'm going to draw an example to the Knicks right now. The Knicks traded Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett for OG and OB, two of arguably the most popular players on the team, one of whom was the team's third best player and a young homegrown player, both these guys' first-round picks, beloved by Knicks fans. Everyone in the Knicks circle hated that deal, and the Knicks are 9-2 since, and, and it's worked brilliantly, right? You've got to make moves that are unpopular to win games. You've got to make moves that are against the public consensus, right? The Dodgers, they traded, you know, a guy who Baseball America considers a top 100 prospect in Michael Bush for, uh, you know, guys who aren't in the top 100. On paper, the Dodgers look like they've lost that deal. Guess what? I promise you those two minor league players are going to become great players and the Dodgers are going to run away looking like thieves, right? Right. When you get buy-in, like when the Yankees acquire some slap-dick reliever, we just assume they're going to be good. Like the Yankees acquire anybody with an arm and a pulse, and I just know they're going to be good in the bullpen, because that's what the Yankees do. But getting that buy-in from prospects and getting that ability to say, look at our track record with prospects, we can, we can call up anybody, and they're going to they're perform. We can call up quality talent, we can develop quality talent. And you've got to give them their props when it comes to drafting. They drafted three top 100 prospects, not one not two, three, and they had a latter half first round pick and they drafted the other two guys with a second round pick and a freaking sixth round pick. If the Yankees can convert great draft picks into great MLB value, and by the way, they've probably already done so, Drew Thorpe is in a deal for Juan Soto. You've won. Like, you've immediately converted him into great MLB value. Now, can a guy like Chase Hampton become a guy? You know, can Ben Rice, who was a 12th round pick. Could you imagine if the Yankees convert a 12th round pick into their future first baseman? I'm sorry. Every single podcast. I mean, you basically have to sit. I mean, you're going to we're going to be basically sitting here and and glazing their prospect development. The Yankees need to be able to develop prospect talent. They need to be able to trust their rookies. They need to be able to convert these guys into MLB players because I. We just can't keep paying, and I hate to use this word, we can't keep paying mediocre veteran talent on towards the luxury tax. When we can develop, when we can have rookies, and you you save like ten million dollars here on an Aaron Hicks, and fifteen million dollars here on a DJ LeMahieu and twenty million dollars here on an Anthony Rizzo, and suddenly you go, wow, we have forty seven million dollars of luxury tax space. Let's go get another player. Let's go, let's go bring in Corbin Burns because we can do that. Let's go bring in Zach Wheeler because we can do that on top of bringing back Soto. Let's go. You know what? Screw it. Kyle Tucker's a free agent in a few years. Let's go get him. Screw it. Uh, you know, uh, when a Freddie Freeman becomes available, it just falls into the Yankees' laps, right? I want the Yankees to be in position to always get star caliber talent. And they're not going to be in that position if they to every single year, throw $15 million here and $20 million there and $10 million here to veteran talent that just doesn't make this team significantly better.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm looking at the payroll for the Yankees right now, and as we know, we're about at 300 million dollars in payroll. Next year, we have a projected 241 million dollars in uh, in payroll. About that, or rather the pro- the projected tax allocation is actually 190 million. So there's a lot of money coming off the books. Obviously, that does not um, include arbitration yet. So all these players will go through arbitration. You can pretty much account like 50 million for them. Um, but then you have 30 million dollars from Soto, which will be applied hopefully to his long term deal, which will be maybe 40, 45 million per season um so him and even you know rizzo departing opens up money there the yankees have opportunity to go out and get some really solid talents you know they can afford to bring another player obviously glaber torres his contract expires so he's not incorporated into this but the yankees if they move on from glaber you know you open up a lot of money there because he's probably gonna get about 20 million dollars per season ideally peraza develops this year finds his offensive identity and takes over second base full time DJ LeMahieu, I think, is a fine third baseman. You pretty much have him there until his contract expires or he takes such a big step in the wrong direction. You have no choice but to utilize him as that utility man again. Um, So the Yankees have some options here. Obviously, Ben Rice transitioning to first base would reduce costs even further. But, you know, Will Warren maybe taking on a role, Chase Hampton's development. We have some pieces here that could take over um, some more expensive positions and reduce costs. But Ben Rice really is an important... part of this equation because rizzo's 20 million dollars like think about what you could do with that that's a good portion of the way towards soda it's a good portion of the way towards wheeler or um corbin burns you know it makes a big difference that 20 mil so he's a great hitter i think ben rice i'm um, um, I want to see more defensively from him in 2024 at first base. Doesn't have that much experience there, so I'd like to see him get that, him a lot of reps. Um, and then offensively, keep doing what he's been doing. You know, he's he's working really hard. We've spoken to him on social media. You know, he's been you know at the camps doing everything he's got to do to get better and become um, an MLB caliber player that's ready to make an impact immediately. For what it's worth, if there is an injury to uh, you know Rizzo or whatever, if there's if there's an opportunity for the Yankees to get Ben Rice some action. I don't think that they should stop, you know, and and give the reps to DJ LeMayhew at first base or whatever. I think that they should give Ben Rice an opportunity because he has all of his minor league options. He's 24 years old. Like he, you got to see what he can do now. Get him a little bit of experience. If the Yankees are kicking ass and they're like locked into a postseason spot two weeks before the season ends. Call up Ben Rice and have him get some games in. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it doesn't hurt to give this guy an opportunity to see what he's got. But most importantly, this spring, training is going to be essential. Um, you know, watching him develop and, and hit against MLB-level pitching – this is where we're going to see Ben Rice. So we're going to see that opportunity, that that um, quality, you know, that potential from his bat from the left side, and you know I'm excited to see what he can do. But guys, keep keep your eyes on Ben Rice. We'll we'll keep you updated throughout the season on how he's performing, some of these prospects and whatnot. Um, obviously Ryan has the Baby Bombers podcast um, every week on Mondays, I believe. So you know, lots of good information coming out there. He'll be touching on Ben Rice a lot, I imagine, plus a ton of other high upside players that are uh, developing throughout the system. But guys, always happy to hear your perspective down below in the YouTube comment section. Make sure. To to like and subscribe as always and we'll catch you guys on the next Firestide Yankees episode.